Hi, this is Adam Carolla. I want to thank you for supporting this podcast on the Corolla Digital Network. Everyone here at Corolla Digital is very proud of the shows that we put out every week and are excited about the future of our network. However, a patent troll is threatening that future by suing us. We need to fight back and beat the troll down. If we go down, all the other shows on the other networks you've grown to love are going to go down next. Visit fundanything.com forward slash patent troll to donate and find out other ways that you can help beat the patent trolls. Thank you and mahalo. This is Corolla Digital. Hey, you guys, it's me, Allison. I just want to say thank you so much for listening. If you like what you're hearing, which, let's face it, you do, tell a friend. You can listen to us all sorts of places. A couple of them would be iTunes or AllisonRosen.com. This show is sponsored by NatureBox. Order great-tasting, healthy snacks right to your door. Forget the vending machine and get in shape for summer with healthy, delicious treats like everything bagel sticks. Support this podcast and get 50% off your first order. Go to NatureBox.com slash Allison. That's NatureBox.com slash Allison. Hello, my little spaghetti carbonaras. It's me, Allison. Before the show, with none other than Matt Atchity starts, we have time to have a little bit of chat. I've invited the one and only Bald Brian to sit in on this pre-show announcement. Hello, Bald Brian. How's it going? Thanks for having me sit in on this pre-show announcement. You're very welcome, and thank you for the suggestion of spaghetti carbonara as the carb with which to start the show. It is the carbiest. It is one of the carbiest of carbs. It it's because it's got it right in it's the got name. It in the name, for God's sake. How well do you know Matt Atchity? Because we really went like behind the guy, behind the tomatoes. Oh, I need to listen to this episode for sure. Because you do, I yeah. I know him top level. <laughs> just, top you level just, Atch. Exactly. You just know him right by the, what's like the top of a tomato called? The tomato topper. Or tomato topper. The, the green part? <laughs> you just know the green part of him. You That's don't right. even know the juicy, slimy, ruddy <laughs> midsection of him. You know what your dog needs? Charlie. He oh. needs bark box. He probably does. He does. Every month they send you a box with four to six awesome full-size products. So this could be toys, gadgets, all natural healthy treats, Ooh. and all this stuff. It's not just it's not just any old treat or any old toy. It's stuff that their office dogs have tested. They I I said this on uh I said this recently, and I'm gonna say it again because that's how much it's true. When I was talking to BarkBox, they were telling me all about the office that they work out of right. and all the employees bring their dogs. So there's like a ton of adorable dogs there. They oh, love, that's heaven for you. Yeah. They, <clears throat> heaven for me if they also had ducklings. Oh, they had Quackbox. Quackbox. <laughs> <laughs> but they love dogs and they have the office dogs test out all the different toys and treats and stuff. So everything is uh, guaranteed by those dogs to be something that your dog will enjoy. And BarkBox is committed to the cause of homeless dogs. Uh, as a rule, they give 10% of their revenue to local oh, rescues and shelters nice. across the U.S. and Canada. And in 2013, they donated over 150,000 to dogs in need. And in 2014, their goal is to donate a million. So help out and get, get something there. awesome for your dog by getting a subscription. And you can save 20% off your new subscription by going to BarkBox.com slash best friend. Again, that's BarkBox.com slash best friend. Go there and save 20%. Okay. I think we have an iTunes comment of the week. Allison wants your iTunes comments. Allison wants them. Yes, she does. Please leave her some iTunes comments and don't forget to click five stars. This is the part where we read a self-aggrandizing comment about the podcast. Oh, good. It's, it, you never read a we. critical one? 
We the have another one never actually gets read, never gets read. We have a segment where critical ones get read. Oh, okay. But we just don't get that many of those. <laughs> <laughs> All right, this week's It's uh, not a recurring segment. <laughs> <laughs> this week's iTunes comment of the week comes from Alexa Marie 82 and it is titled ARIYNBF is a lifesaver. This review is so glowing, Gary is literally wearing sunglasses. It's true. It's true story. About a year ago, I lost my closest friend in a car accident, and it almost killed me. I never left my house and became despondent with friends and family. But during one of my many sleepless nights, I came across Allison Rosen as your new best friend podcast, and I fell in love immediately. Allison is so sweet and smart, yet isn't afraid to say exactly what's on her mind, a quality I hope to possess one day. Mm-hmm. Her Monday shows are one of a kind. Her expert way of asking difficult questions never comes across as probing, aiding the listener to feel a deep connection with the interviewee. This in-depth style of questioning helped me realize that even though her guests may not have gone through the same experience that I did, no matter what, things will get better. As for the Thursday shows, wow. I didn't think it was possible to laugh so hard. The brilliant Thursday gang always succeeds in getting my mind off how crazy life is so I can take a minute and just smile. Thank you so much, ARIYMBF, for making my two least favorite days of the week the ones I wish could come sooner. Your your fan forever, Alexa. Thank you so much, Alexa, for your comment. I'm so sorry for your loss. Um, That is awful, but I love that... um She's you've finding some been able to. Yeah. We'll take listeners any way we can get them, is what she said. <laughs> so crass. I learned this from is the best taking time. a different turn than I was hoping. No, yeah, I love. I love. My dream for this podcast would be that it would be a source of comfort for people who are basically needing a hug in their life. Uh, I mean, of course, I want people who don't need a hug, who are just on top of the world, to love it too. But especially anyone who's sort of. You know, a little bit sad or a little bit lonely or a little bit just just down just from normal stuff or from extraordinary things. I would I love that this podcast can be a source of solace and it's a little ready for a T-shirt, but OK. <laughs> but it makes me wonder if she, if she left this comment before some of the recent episodes where we actually got into some stuff that what like the episode with you and your wife, Brian. I mean, I mean oh, that yeah. was like a really that was kind of heavy, right? Pretty well, serious heavy. episode. Yeah. Yeah. I so it was heavy. Would you call it serious, though? Would you call it earnest? I wouldn't. I mean, it was a. It was funny and at times lighthearted, but we were talking about your, you know, cancer mm-hmm. battle. She could certainly be a little bit behind, but it's dated April thirtieth, so it was left very recently. Oh, but well, she then could, never she mind. Could absolutely, be a, catching up. I mean, she found of, us. Yeah, she found us a little late, so yeah. you know. All right. You what know what name? else? Well, her name was Alexa. Thanks, yeah. Alexa. That's a very nice comment. Yeah, thank you so much. And if you would, you would like your comment to be an iTunes comment of the week, leave us a iTunes comment. Click five stars. It's our favorite number. Um, you know what else? Thank is? God your favorite number isn't two. <laughs> <laughs> well, if there were only two available, that would be my favorite number. But point. it goes my num- favorite numbers go all the way up to five. It's and very five conditional. Five is the best of those of those five numbers. Yeah, okay. I mean of the stars. So that's click the em. best. Click, just do it. Just click them. You know what else you should click? Mm-hmm. Naturebox.com slash Allison. Oh, I love it. I actually do love Naturebox. Yeah, we all we all love Naturebox around here. Naturebox sends you stuff to snack on that is healthy and it's exciting and it's sometimes salty. It's sometimes sweet. It's savory, I guess, is the word that I would use. Or it could be sweet. Uh, and it makes it so that when those hunger pains come along, you don't just trundle your sizable butt. Or maybe you have a live butt. Who knows? But you, you and your butt don't go to the vending machine. You just go right to your box of Nature Box snacks unless Adam steals it because one time Adam snatched my box and then handed it to his 
some guys. Get he that passed drop. my get box that along get that to drop. some guys. So I didn't get to enjoy healthy snacks like barbecue kettle kernels or everything bagel sticks or South Pacific plantain chips. They have sriracha cashews. They do. They have every month is a new thing that I think I'm going to eat all of this in one <laughs> sitting. <laughs> but, but it all has zero trans fats, zero high fructose corn syrup, nothing artificial. Uh, you'll even find snacks that are gluten conscious and non-GMO. And there's free shipping anywhere in the U.S. So you guys should get your mitts on a nature box but just don't do it when adam's around try nature box right now get 50 percent off your first box by going to naturebox.com forward slash allison again that is naturebox.com forward slash allison swimsuit weather is almost here that's horrible to hear but get nature box anyway but actually actually i said spactually especially actually that's right thank you <laughs> that's what i was trying to say <laughs> but actually speaking of swimsuit season what are you going to do with all that extra hair? Brian, I know that this is not a problem on your head. No, but other parts of my body, perhaps. Perhaps you have some weeding to do. I do manscaping. Do you have an untended weed garden in your pubes? A pube patch? Uh, let's not a topiary? Go, let's not go there, but let's just say my armpit hairs are, are trimmed to a respectable uh, level. Is that true? Yeah. That's smart. Otherwise, I'd have like a big, like gross, like caveman bush under there. Yeah, sure. <laughs> they're, they're not shaved like with, with a straight razor, but they're, uh, you know, Trimmers. they're... Yeah. Yeah, you gotta keep that shit under control. Yeah, I didn't think about that. I guess that makes sense. Oh yeah, but and let's... it also makes the application of deodorant much easier, True. right? Because otherwise you get caught in the, in the in the in the forest in the hedgerow. That's right. Fascinating. But let's say you want to just get rid of the hair altogether. You're not just trying to yeah. trim your armpit thatch. That's an option. Thicket. You're trying to just get rid of it. Mm-hmm. You need the No No Pro. It's thirty five percent stronger than the No No. Uh, there's five different treatment levels. And it's totally painless. It's not messy. Unlike laser hair treatment removal things, we have to make an appointment and it kind of hurts and it's really expensive or waxing, which is messy and it hurts. See, there's a pattern. It's that all those things hurt. I'm a wimp. So when I received my No-No Pro, I was like, I don't know. They say it doesn't hurt, but I can feel, I can feel everything. In fact, I'm wearing a shirt right now. I can feel it. I, I really. Most people can, but you especially can. I can feel your shirt. Oh. <laughs> I can feel things that are happening to people. And I can... No. I was going to make a joke. It wasn't worth it. What You're I'm, empathic for shirts. <laughs> yeah. What I'm saying is I, uh, I, have a, I can pretty much feel things, even things that people tell me aren't going to be painful. And yet I tried the No-No Pro. I was scared, but I tried it. And I literally did not feel it. And thus, I've been a convert ever since. Um, it's this device. It's about the size of a cell phone. You just glide it along your skin and it removes hair. It slows down the regrowth. So you you begin to not need to use it as often. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, uh, and you will love it. Weeks of long lasting results and all skin types, all hair colors, safe and effective for both men and women. It must cost a fortune though, because if it's, if it works that well, you would think, I just did, but think. you'd be wrong. What? Completely reasonable. There's a special exclusive offer for my listeners. Go to No No Pro Best Friend or call 800-336-1665. Again, that's No No Pro Best Friend or call 800-336-1665. Here's what you get. The No No Pro device, an exclusive facial kit, a snazzy travel case. If you order online, you get a free gift card and the entire purchase is backed by No No's triple guarantee. If you're not 100% satisfied, they'll refund the purchase price, refund the shipping, and they'll even pay for you to ship it back to them. You don't risk a, print, a penny to try no-no. Call for details. Terms and conditions may apply. Okay. Brian, it's been delightful having you sit here with me. It's been delightful hearing you say that it was delightful. 
It's been delightful hearing you say that it was delightful hearing me say that it was delightful. Ditto. Touche. All right. Here's the episode with the one and only Matt Atchity. You will notice it was recorded before I was married. That's and you'll notice it's a good episode. I don't know why I felt the need to issue that. Take Just note. because I feel like it might be a little confusing to people, uh, but not that confusing. Anyway, here comes the episode, and uh, thanks you got. Thank you guys for listening. I love you. Okay, here we go. Hey everyone. Hi. Hello. It is me, Allison, and I'm sitting here with Matt Atchity from Rotten Tomatoes. Hello, Matt. Hello. Um, it's exciting to have you on the show. So you come in here onto the Adam Carolla show and we chat for like a little bit, usually before we start, be- when we're coming back from break. Uh, and you have all sorts of insights about the internet and you're just, you're a pretty fascinating guy. And I thought, let's plumb those depths. Well, all right. Here we go. Here we go. See, look, <laughs> dynamic already. Exactly. You do have a very broadcasty voice, though, which is interesting because that was not the direction you thought you were going to go, is it? Uh, you know, not originally. I, you know, it's funny. I am extremely lucky. I on on a lot of fronts. When I was a little kid, all I wanted to do was move away to California, and we did when I was like sixteen. So I've kind of been coasting since then. <laughs> where, um, you know, where from? Are we Kansas from? City, mm-hmm. originally from Kansas City. Uh, I, for a while, when especially like in my teen years, I thought being on the radio, doing broadcasts would be the coolest, most awesome job of all time. And I didn't end up in that direction uh, in large part because my dad told me that uh, that, among other things I wanted to do, was a dumb idea. <laughs> uh, so I you know, fell into working on the web and uh, a couple years ago, uh, Sirius contacted us and said, hey, we want to do a radio show with you guys. Like kind of completely unprovoked and it's like uh okay that sounds like fun and it's been really a lot of fun i didn't realize you had been doing that rotten tomatoes radio on sirius for a couple years now uh yeah i think it's probably about 18 months so far Mm -hmm. so yeah maybe not two years but it took six months to get the deal done and how did you start coming on the adam carolla show uh we had done you know it's funny because i think adam sometimes forgets the wheel sorry (laughs) what were you thinking gary it's my (laughs) fuck up but you know happy mistake um, I think that uh, Adam forgets that I had done his show when he was still on the radio. Oh, KLSX. Like three years ago at KLSX, like a long time ago. But um, I don't remember how it came up last time. But yeah, I think Lynch just remembered you. Yeah, and maybe he, so. And he he kind of said, you know, what about that? That guy was great and kind of evolved from there. Yeah, and I would come on from time to time, but I'm glad we finally figured out the game. Yeah, I love right? the game. The game is yeah. so perfect. And all credit to Matt. That's that was his idea. Uh, That's know, not it's fun. that was not me and Lynch. Matt pitched that to us and I it's love a it. runaway success. That explains why it's a good idea. Uh, well, maybe. <laughs> One of my outside. few good ones. <laughs> In the midst of talking about all of that, I just had to point out the tableau that my eyes just fell upon. So the way the studio is is uh set up. I'm looking through a window and I'm seeing Gary on the other side and behind him is a doorway and Chris was standing in the doorway like frozen for a moment waiting holding a can and a spoon a big spoon like a dessert spoon and I had an apple in my mouth yeah what's in the what's can, the, what's, what's well, the the can? can went to Gary oh okay but where's the what's the spoon for I have soup that I'm I'm going to I'm going to uh, munch on while you uh, did you not see his satchel 
No. <laughs> Do you Chris, have a snack Chris satchel? Chris always has a satchel of food. Wait, now can you say that you munch on soup? No, that's just the term I use. Okay. I, I don't know. I was frozen again. I, I The reason I froze is because Gary was on mic and I didn't want to make a lot of noise coming in. Thank you. It's very thoughtful. It's a pro right there. Yeah. There you go. I didn't know you have a snack satchel. Yeah, I bring I bring a snatchel. Snatchel, right here for. Wait, here for that sounds different. <laughs> that totally sounds different. <laughs> Something else in that bag. It sounds like what happens after you have a baby. Um, yeah, how Jeez. how is it a tote bag? How have I missed that you carry around snacks? He he switches up the bag so as not to be found out. I think. Yeah. <laughs> All right. What kind of soup? And then we're we're headed back to this interview. It's a vegetable bisque. Fancy. Mm. Okay, it's it's not even that. I just say that I boiled vegetables and then I blended them. I don't know. If that's, that's you a, made your own soup. Yeah, that, yeah, it's, yeah. I that's always not, make my own soup. That's not soup. That's just blended mush. Oh no! Oh no! So Matt, I'm what you don't know is that this show is twice a week, and on Mondays I interview guests, which I really am going to do in any in <laughs> any second now. And then on Thursdays uh, I have Matt and Gary and Chris and Jenna, and we talk about snacks it's not it's not exclusively snacks we talk about all sorts of stuff but whether there's a long-running debate does a butter sandwich exist that's a good question i I think it does chris thinks it does gary feels like gary feels like there's if if the if there's a big hunk of butter, then yes, because for for something to be a sandwich, there has to be something between two pieces of bread. If it's the butter has it melted in, it needs to be in, more just... than just dressing to the bread. Absolutely. Yeah, I, I I think that Gary, I might be on your side here because it depends on the thickness of the and partly the temperature, right? right. Because if it's like mm. if you slice up pats of butter and put it on a piece of bread. And it's still cold enough that it's butter not sandwich. melted into the bread. I would buy that that's a butter sandwich. As but right. if it was two pieces of buttered toast that you jammed together, I don't know that you could really call that. <laughs> Are you looking into the eyes of your sandwich. soulmate, Gary? Right here. Listen, you can see what I look like. I I eat a lot, and I think about food quite a bit, well, including snacks. Point for me. I mean, I think now we're headed into a similar discussion over what makes a soup a soup. Because you're just saying that's just a blended mash. Or something. That's Chris the says, only way you make a bisque is you you boil the things and then you blend it because a bisque it, there's no chunks it's it, it's a one it's one. Here's a question: What's the difference between say a bisque like soup and gravy? Ooh. At what point Bam. does something cross the line of being a soup and like oh I need to put this on something else? When or I conversely, used to buy it, a can of turkey gravy and drink it straight from the can, it right? worked as a soup for me. Right, that's the thing. Yeah, yes. and I thought that, and I remember thinking. Why is this not a soup? And if you microwave it, it becomes very thin, bisque-like, if you will. All right. So you grew up in Kansas. I grew up in Kansas. Your dad thought your ideas were stupid. Uh, Yes. What was your dad like? Uh, My dad is an intense guy, and he's a businessman. Mm -hmm. And he didn't, you know, he's my dad's the kind of guy that if you say that you're majoring in English, for instance, he'd say, "Oh, really? Well, what? Where are the English stores? What are you going to do with that?" Liberal arts education. How are you going to make money doing that? Like, what did he want you to do? Get an MBA? Uh, yeah. Or he would always, you know, he would talk about how much he hated lawyers, and it's like he'd be a good lawyer. Oh, like, no. oh thanks, Dad. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Aww. Uh, do you have siblings? Uh, I do. I'm the oldest of four. Mm-hmm. Yes. Oh wow. Yeah, and I'm the object lesson to my younger siblings. <laughs> I'm definitely the one that my parents would be like, "Oh, don't be like your older brother." 
Don't they think you're a success that uh, now, though? I, my, you know, the rest of my family does. My dad grudgingly does. But, uh, yeah, they, you know. It's, so what what kind of business is your dad in? Uh, he started out as a – well, he started out as an accountant, as a CPA. And, and he then, hates lawyers. That's, I mean, I guess they're very yeah. different, but – yeah, he's well. I put him in the same He went somehow. into he went into financial planning, and then he went into uh, he would he started a video rental business, and actually that's what brought us out to California in 1986. Um, but his attitudes is that the lawyers screw everything up. Mm-hmm. So that's he's you know like oh I can do all it's these business wrong. deals with the, yeah you know he's not I, I wouldn't say he's I mean look like we all know decent attorneys like I know people who are good lawyers and that I would want to have on my side but there are those types that you know like with anything right give somebody a bad name right like you know not to go off on a tangent it's the loudmouth Christian jerks that make everybody else that goes to church look bad mm-hmm. right it's the it's the Westboro Baptist types that like. Oh God! Right, the extreme. Religi- religious people are terrible. Like, well, some of them are. They aren't all terrible, but some of you know it's mm. yeah. It's the yeah. Same kind of thing. Are you religious? Um, not particularly. You know, my wife and my kid go to church. They, he's at Catholic school, um, and so my wife takes him to mass. I don't really go that much. I was an altar boy back in the day. Um, I don't. Back when it was still safe to do that. Um, <laughs> well, wasn't it always safe? I mean, sorry. Let me rephrase. Didn't all of that always happen? It's just now that we know about I it? I think now you know about it. Yeah. yeah. I mean, you know, it's – none of the priests that were at my school, like, seemed that they'd be those types. Um, but, you know, then again, like, who can tell, right? Right. It's uh, – I don't know. Um, I'm not particularly religious. I hope that there's more than this. I, <laughs> I hope. I'm hopeful. But, mm-hmm. I, but you know, I guess I'm a hopeful ag- agnostic. But that being said, like – I went to eight or nine years of Catholic school, and there's a lot of that stuff that kind of just gets drilled into you, and you kind of still think about. So, do you feel like that was good for you? Um, the eight or nine years of Catholic school. You know, I have friends who refer to Catholic school as this like thing that they feel like put a lot of guilt into them. Yeah, I, I you know I don't know if it was school or home life or whatever. I mean, it's probably a combination of the whole thing. Like, there is a lot of guilt that gets thrown. I mean, you know, I, I remember. One of the first friends that I had in college that was Jewish because I grew up, you know, again, grow, well, actually not in college when we moved out here, um, you know, growing up in the suburbs of Kansas City, like I didn't really have a lot of uh, Jewish friends. Like we knew some, but it wasn't, you know, at the Catholic school we went to, like of course, it didn't come up. Right? There weren't a lot of Jews in your Catholic well, school. Well, you know, although funny, it's I realized later that the country club we belonged to was primarily a Jewish country club. But, you know, you're out in the pool and nobody's wearing yarmulkes mm. or something, right? So it's it's like it never really occurred to me until somebody pointed out like when I was in high school, like, oh, I'm Jewish. I'm like, oh, well, I guess I'm Catholic. And he's like, yeah, we share guilt. I'm like, ah, <laughs> right? So, yeah, I mean, there is a lot of guilt. That I, I am – I will say that my gut reaction to most situations is guilty about something. Like my boss calls me a week ago to say, hey, I need to meet. Can you come over to my office in about 20 minutes? I need to meet. And I'm like, oh, shit, what did I do? Oh, I would have that reaction yeah. too, though. Whenever yeah. anyone needs to talk, like I appreciate when someone's like, "It's good." Yeah, but then exactly. when they, you know, ahead of time, but then when they don't say that, it's like, oh. Yeah, or like you know, like some annual meetings coming up. I'm like, oh, this is the day I'm going to get fired. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that typically, you know, or or you know, my wife's like, "Honey, we need to talk about something." What did I, I think do? That commonly makes men's nuts crawl up into their body. Yeah, because. You know, I think my take on that is nobody says we need to talk 
at least my reaction, and I think a lot of guys, is that you immediately think, well, if it would just come up organically, like you don't need the announcement. If there's an announcement that we have to talk, that a discussion is going to happen. That something that I have realized is that the disclaimer only ratchets up anxiety. And I've only realized that if Daniel ever gives me a disclaimer. And I don't know why. And I know, I mean, I feel like I've done it. Like my whole life, I've been the kind of person who will put a disclaimer in front of something, like trying to sort of, now I don't want you to blah, 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 like trying to tell them how I want them to take whatever. And it's like, whatever you, however you don't want them to take it, that instantly puts them into that mindset. And it's only because I have experienced it that I, that I'm now aware that like, that's just, just in general, I think that probably it's better to never give a disclaimer. Just to say right, whatever don't it is. Right, over-explain. Yeah. Right. Because when you're like, I don't want you to take this the wrong way, that's instantly like, oh, God. Nothing – or I mean, not that that would be the disclaimer, but still. Yeah, you know? but that's kind of a disclaimer. You're right. I mean, that's that comes up too. Or like, you know, it's – the extreme version of that is like, I don't mean to sound racist, yeah. but I hate black people. Right? Like, <laughs> right? Like, that's the kind of stuff, like, equivalent that people will say, right? I mean, it's they don't say that, obviously. Right. But, but, no, but I'm sorry, but <laughs> – Yeah, exactly. I'm sorry, but – no, you're not sorry. If you were yeah. really sorry, you'd you keep your damn mouth shut. Right. Right? So, Yeah. People. I know. People. People. Okay. So um, well, now was your dad more hard on you than the other kids? Uh, yes. Why do you think that is? Because uh, I was the disappointment to him. Why? Oh, I'm just not a terrible disappointment. Uh, my, You're not. You're a gift in my life. Uh, to my father, I am a terrible disappointment. That that was made very clear to me early on and I gave – and I've given up. Like my dad is definitely the type of person – you know, my dad's done very well financially and his attitude – is that I should do well. His In his mind, you're not a success unless you're making tons of money. Mm. Um, that's His measure of success is money. Um, and that's not mine. And that's something that he and I don't see eye to eye on. Like, I, don't get me wrong. Money is great. Like, it's much better to have it than not have it. <laughs> but I'm not... I don't feel in my career and in my life, like my focus is, you know, I want to provide for my wife. I want to provide for my stepson. I want to be able to, you know, provide them with a safe, comfortable environment and give them the opportunities to do what they want to do. But I'm not, it's not a scorecard, right? It's not like, let's just amass it just to amass it. Like, I don't, I don't feel like that because part of it is I see, and this is my, the flip side of looking at how my dad is. I see a lot of people – not everyone's like this, but there's there's some people that like it just becomes all-consuming and that's all you think about all the time. Mm-hmm. And it's – you know, and I understand that some people get that way – get to a position like my dad does by you have to watch every penny. But that's exhausting. That's never who I wanted to be. It's like, eh, I'll go buy comic books, whatever. <laughs> right? Like whatever silly stuff I want to spend money on, like that's what I'll do. Mm-hmm. And you think that is the – I think that's just, part of it. Just the sort of different yeah, I mean, orientation. You know, I was I w- I grew up as an artistic kid. Like I was a kid, you know, I was always drawing, I was always reading. I was definitely the type of kid like I wanted to go into theater. I dabbled in stand up in college. Like I left college early. I didn't finish school. Where did you go? Uh University of San Francisco for about 3 semesters. And I got bored. It it wasn't for me. Like I didn't know what I wanted to do. Um so I left and partly because my dad was the type of person who was saying, you know, I'm spending all this money to send you to college. You better figure it out. And it was like, OK, well, then so don't waste. Pressure. Well, and that was the thing. It was like, OK, then don't waste the money. Like, you know what? I'm d- OK, fine. Here, take your money. It's OK. I don't need it. 
Um, which I know that that really, you know, he since he will backpedal, it's like, oh, that's not what I meant. I'm like, okay. We kind of called his bluff. Well, and that's the thing. Like having gone through, you know, we went to a we went to a relatively uh, high, not high profile, but a um, a not cheap private school out here in California. And my dad would talk about how how much money it cost him to send all four of us there, and which was, you know, significant money. Um, but it just got to be old after a while. It's like, okay, well, what do you want me to do? like? Am yeah. I, am I, should I, I be out? Like, like, that, I feel like that's not. It's not fair to do that to kids. Well, that's the thing. It's like, you know, and then he would, be, you know, from time to time he'd say. Oh, but I'm happy to do it. I'm like, really? Because you don't sound happy. Like, uh, I know. know. At a certain point, it's like, isn't that what you do as a parent? I mean, like, it doesn't have to be the toniest school, but still, like, I like, I feel like my mom somewhere, somewhere there's a piece of paper that has every single cent she's ever spent on me in my entire life. Like, she probably has that recorded somewhere. Right. That's that's the way my dad is. Right. Like, you know, there would be a A like, there's a ledger somewhere. Right. And it's like, okay, well, fine. Like, okay, then don't spend it. Fine. I'm done. I'm done with it. I'm done with the guilt trip. I'm done with being made to feel shitty about this. Like, I'm done. Mm-hmm. I, I don't need it anymore. So I got to a point where after I left school, like I dabbled around. Um, I was a tour guide at Universal off and on for a few years. I worked in TV production uh, for a She's couple not of years. You're the first tour guide at Universal who's walked through these doors, you I, know. Right? I'm sure I won't be the last. <laughs> um, so it's – I've – been very lucky in my career to be kind of at the right place at the right time. Um, you know, I got into working on the internet in like 96, 97, like right as it started to get picked up. But back then people were still on modems. Right, right. I, around then is when I heard of this thing called Ethernet and you could be online all the time. And I was like, right. how? Like it felt like an open door yeah. in your room the whole time. Because before that I had the, you know, Cats being sodomized, sound mode up dialing <laughs> right. thing, and I remember I knew the mode the like, so I was writing for magazines at that time, and I remember I would like modem my article like ADDT yeah. modem commands or something, yeah, yeah, something I don't like know that. What that means, but um, yeah, so okay, so I'm trying to remember '97 what was happening. I, I think I just that was just you've got mail, not the yeah, movie, I mean, but that's, that's what my computer said I, to me. I don't think I still have it, but I was in a company that had been acquired by AOL, so my first job was with America Online. Um, what was that company? Uh, it was called Entertainment Asylum. Asylum is still kind of around, mm-hmm. uh, but it was this was an entertainment portal long before anyone had the bandwidth to look at it. Um, we were doing like a daily video show, and people <laughs> like we wow. thought like we thought people would be like watching this stuff on modems, right? I mean, unless how people could you even watch. I mean, if you were on work you? on on your nice fat T one line at work and could get away with surfing yeah. the web on work, then you could watch what we were doing. But part of why we all got laid off after years because nobody was watching this stuff. Right. Uh, but we were doing entertainment news, and were you writing or what were you I was doing? writing. I was I actually was more producing, so I was doing some writing. I was doing some HTML. Like I had learned, you know, I'm very much my personality is the type that I look at things. Every almost everything to me is a puzzle to be figured out. So when it comes to publishing on the web, it's like. All right, that's a puzzle. I can figure that out. And what appealed to me about working on the web early on was that I had start. I was a production assistant on a couple of different TV shows, and I didn't like the idea that in TV production and movies are even worse this way. Unless you're on a show that goes for three or four seasons or however long, you got to hustle to find a new job every year. And I don't have 
that kind of – like that was something that doesn't come naturally to me. It's exhausting. I, the hustle, like that's not me. Mm-hmm. Um, the and selling I was, yourself part. And just like – like I am, I understand intellectually. Like what you know, I for instance, like I would look at between jobs. I'd say, okay, I'm going to go through all of the production listings in the reporter on a Tuesday, and I'm going to call every one and see who might be hiring, and just send them resumes anyway. But that's ex- like the energy level required for that. Like that was unsustainable for me, mm-hmm. um, and I was spoiled because my first job working in TV production was on. Uh, do you remember the show Major Dad? Yes, I do. So I worked on that for two seasons. Did you I call was the, Tom on that. Uh, Who was the daughter? N- um, God, what was her name? She directed a movie, and I can't remember her name. Um, but it was Gerald McCraney and yeah. Matt Mulhern and uh, a few other people. Um, that I was the writer's PA and was there for two seasons. And those guys, that the head writer Rick Hawkins, great guy. Um, had been working since the Carol Burnett show. He was the one that wrote the curtain rod scene oh, wow. on Carol Burnett. Yeah, he and his writing partner at the time had come up with that scene. Uh-huh. Um, so they ran a really tight ship. Like everything was pretty chill. They shot on a Friday, so you had a regular type of work week. They were usually out doing rewrites. They were usually out by like six or seven o'clock. So it was like having a normal office job. And that went for two seasons. And over the hiatus, we all got carried. So we had jobs for three months where, like, I was going and shooting pool for mm-hmm. getting paid. Um, and then when the show got canceled, I was like, oh, that was a great experience and everything else sucks. So I had gone and was working at Universal. I didn't know what I was going to do. I was, you know, working at the theme park for a couple of years. And then some, this thing came up, this internet thing. And the idea that you could publish something and have it be out there and not have to go through, like, the dues paying and find your way past the gatekeepers and the networks. And like you could shoot your own show and edit it and put it up on the web and it's just out there for people to find it. That was really appealing to me. And that's still what I love about the web, right? You don't have to go – I mean it's the same thing that you guys do with the podcasts, right? Like you record them and you put them up and yeah, they're syndicated out through iTunes but you're not hosting on iTunes. Like just host wherever you want. I mean in the end, if you really want to, buy your own server, mm-hmm. right? So it's it's as opposed to – the traditional, you know, TV network model, which was you've got to, you know, find somebody to finance your show and hopefully somebody buy the pilot and then air it on one of three or four, you know, maybe four networks or maybe get it syndicated. But there's all these gatekeepers to the audience, right? And the same thing with movies. It's these gatekeepers that are the distributors. And yes, you could shoot your own movie, but short of renting theaters yourself, you're not going to – it's going to really be difficult to get that out to people. Now you can kind of do whatever you want and just put it out there on the web and people may or may not find it. You know, But the, the, the gatekeepers aren't there anymore or not in that way, mm. which was exciting to me. See, in a way, I think that I want to succeed. I want to – I still want to have success in that, that – trajectory that involves gatekeepers and I, I my my fear is that it's just because I want the validation of like oh I was given a tv show and that makes me because versus someone who more like you is like I just want to make the content and put it out there and it makes me feel like are my motivations suspect I mean I think it's all know, a little bit know, of both it's, but it's, it's weird that I like I I feel like I like I, I still want I think it's it's a needing validation that's making me still want that traditional thing. Yeah, I'd, I'd, 
I can see that. I I don't totally disagree with you. You know, you look at somebody like you know Chris Hardwick, right, with the Nerdist, has gone from a podcast. I mean, yeah, you know, Chris was on what well, he was on the Real World, but singled out, singled out. You know, but he but you know a lot of people did that and then never went anywhere, right? But Chris kept working and kept doing stuff, and now he's got his Comedy Central thing. He's got the thing on BBC. You know, and he's used the podcasting and internet platform to make his voice such that it can't be ignored. Mm -hmm. And so he's – that traditional media is accepting him now. And that has to to. be – they have to. And that's very validating. Now, are we at a point where, you know, you can do something like a podcast or, you know, media that's put out on – you know, I think we're just now at a point where you can do something like – you know, effectively a radio show or a television show or something over internet-only channels, and that's a viable, successful career. But I think we're, you know, if you look, and I'm including stuff like that, like a podcast like this, Mm -hmm. you know, like Adam's podcast, like uh, something like House of Cards on Netflix, um, the shows that are showing up on Amazon, or, you know, Orange is the New Black, you know, those types of things, you know, Netflix is really, Netflix is kind of turning itself into a network of Mm -hmm. sorts. Um, So I think there's that. Now, the possible, I mean, you know, I I go on tangents like crazy. Um, You know, one of the things that that is going to be interesting in the next two years is seeing how the Verizons and the AT&Ts and, you know, as net neutrality seems to be falling by the wayside, are the ISPs going to be able to control the content we see? Net, what does net neutrality net mean? Net neutrality means that, you know, if you're, if you're with Verizon as an internet provider, they can't – basically, oh. they can't control what you see. So now what it seems like is the courts have told Verizon that – Yes, you can throttle back Netflix if you want. Now, Verizon claims – I didn't know that. Verizon claims, oh, we what don't – What page want... of the newspaper is this on? <sighs> is right? that on the front? No, it's okay. not. Um, you know, Verizon or Comcast, you know, Comcast is a good example, right? A lot of people get their internet connection through Comcast. Comcast owns NBC. Uh, Comcast also is – has announced that they're going to be dabbling in streaming services, either original TV type content or movie services. So if you think about Comcast now having the legal right to throttle back traffic from Netflix, which could be seen as a competitor to their own streaming service. That's why they're allowed to? Well, no, it's not. It's 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 there. Like what's the loophole under which anyone's well, allowed a, to throttle it's, anything? It's right. It's not a, Part of it is the way that the web was built. The web was built in such a way that it wasn't looked at like telephones, right? Telephones, when telephones got started, the idea behind or one of the things that happened with the government with government regulation was the Congress said you can't. the The phone is a service that, as long as people pay for, the phone companies can't control who you call, right? So it would be the equivalent of. You know, even back when it was Pac Bell or when it was, you know, Bell Company, you know, now if AT&T, you know, doesn't want you to call someone who's getting their phone through Verizon, they can't do that, right? But effectively on the web, they kind of can. And it's because when the FCC 
when the internet started, there wasn't a lot of regulation, and the FC arguably the FCC stepped in too late to stop it. Um, and nobody has looked at the web and said, you know what, this is a service that we need to have open and free access for all. And that's why there's this group of people. You know, there are there's a faction that wants there to be true net neutrality, which basically treats the net like phones and says you have to be open to everyone, no matter what. And then there's the business owners who say. Well, no, we should be able to control what goes over our networks. Is that SOPA? That's SOPA. Yeah, that's SOPA among other things. S- but the business owners controlling what goes over their network would be to prevent competition or – I mean for under whatever what reason. For whatever, just, re- for whatever just reason Just we are want. providing a service. We just, have the right to say right, no right, bells today. Right. It would be – exactly. Exactly. It would be as if – you know. Yeah, it would be, you know, again, the best the best description I could give would be, you know, yes, your phone system is owned and run by a private company. But, you know, if you think about your cell phone carrier, right? Like your cell phone carrier has to let you be able to call 911 even if your service has been deactivated, right? right? But once your service is up and running, you may get a discount for calling other people on Verizon, mm-hmm. right? If you're a Verizon subscriber or whatever or if you give them, you know, T-Mobile was doing that. Right, friends and family, but, that thing. But for instance, T-Mobile can't say, no, 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 you can't call anyone with Verizon service, right? You can't do that. Or we're going to make those calls sound bad, right? Or right. you're going to have to listen to them in Morse code, <laughs> right? That's – Which is kind of what we're talking about. Which is kind of like, what we're talking about. It'll now, be right? slower. So if, say, Verizon said, you know, the way to get more customers is to make the people on the smaller carriers like T-Mobile – sound bad and force those people to get on a big one like us, right? That's that's That would be a situation somewhat similar to the net neutrality debate. So it's, you know, if Verizon or AT&T or Comcast, the, the web providers, you know, it, it has to do partly with the synergy and the bigger companies that they're – right? If Verizon gets in the business, gets in bed with somebody who's providing streaming services, then they're going to want to – Make sure that traffic that the fastest traffic is going to those services of their own that they get money for as opposed to a competitor well, I mean, I suppose we experience this a little bit. I'm thinking like if you're in a hotel and you sign on to their wi fi and they'll explain that you can't download things and or you you can't you can't do streaming and you can't do this, and like it's different because it's not your your uh right your service provider, but it is. There are different, you know. There are times that you're on the internet and you're like, I'm, I'm very limited in what I can do at this point. Yeah, I mean, it's you know, or like if you're on a plane, right? If the plane's got Wi-Fi yeah. and you're streaming, you know, they're not going to let you stream Netflix on the plane, right? And we're all kind of just used to that, like, oh, okay, fine. And partly I tried because to do my used when, back when I had a Ustream show, I tried to do that on the plane. It's like thirty seconds, <laughs> right? Well, and the other thing too is, you know, who knows if the plane could actually even carry that level of bandwidth, right? But let's say it could. Then the then the question you have to ask is well why not you know why yes it's in the planes you know it's yes it's in the airline's best interest to not let you stream prevent Netflix you stuff, from talking to your people but <laughs> maybe they shouldn't be allowed to right 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 you know so that's you know that's the I mean now granted like do people need to have a fundamental right to stream video yes you know on a plane maybe not but you know you start to get into these questions about at what point can major corporations control what we have access to, 
right? And it's it's a it's a somewhat weird world, you know. Yes, being on the internet, at least up until recently, meant that you could kind of publish anything you want, and there weren't these gatekeepers. But what's scary about net neutrality is it gets us back into a world like we were in the seventies, or well, not in the seventies. Up until I think it was when Clinton was in office and, and the networks got deregulated uh, or there was some deregulation, there were very strict limits as to how much media a particular company could own in a local market and nationwide. You know That got deregulated and so now it's something like 80 or 90 percent of the media, mass media outside of the internet is controlled by about six or seven corporations. The web sidestepped that because the web means that there's these other channels that, you know, and I don't, God, I feel like I sound like a conspiracy theorist. But if net neutrality goes away completely, nothing's going to keep those big corporations from controlling vast sections of the web, and we're kind of back in that same boat. So, you know, if you are of a certain political bent, you know, people far to the left will have you believe that Fox News and the Fox Corporation is a scary entity because they, you know, because of their, 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 the polit- the politics that come through on their channel, right? Um, I'm trying to say that in the most neutral way possible. <laughs> uh, but with the, you know, if News Corp decides to buy somebody like a Verizon or an AT and T, and net neutrality has gone away, and Roger Ailes, the head of Fox News manages to work his way up in News Corp to control what access that this Fox Verizon could have, then he could keep Verizon customers from, from seeing – from, from, <laughs> Exactly. No, honestly. Like could, could keep them from reading stories HuffPo. that aren't from HuffPo, from stories that don't fall in line with the Fox News business model. That's where it gets scary. Now, do you think that would actually happen? <sighs> I, you know, I don't – I'm not sure it will. I think if it happens, it's going to be slow. I think it, if it happens, though, it's not going to be what we just said. It's going to be like, yeah, try signing up for Obamacare now. Yeah. No, I don't think it's going to be like – I mean, I think it would be more – I think it's less about the politics right now. I mean, the thing is, for all people talk about News Corps and, and Fox News and whatever, look at the stuff. I mean, if you look at what – I mean, those are just business lines in the larger news court. You know, Rupert. Right. Uh, you know, Roger Ailes and Rupert may have his own political beliefs that somewhat filter down into Fox News. But if you look at the stuff that Fox, as a network, as a TV network, puts on the air, and you look at the movies that come out, like those are all just money, right? And so, really, like as much as the yeah, they're large, kind of in the entertainment. Field yeah, more that's than the thing. Like on a certain level, do. Do I think it's I don't I don't personally think it's a good thing that we have eight or nine corporations that are, you know, potentially controlling most of what we see. But by the same token, the they go where the money is. And so as if the audience is looking at stuff as far as the politics are concerned, I you know, the fear was and the reason there was regulation up in the past was so that Somebody, you know, back in the day when editorials, like political editorials, carried much more weight than they do now, you know, you would keep, you couldn't have somebody like William Randolph Hearst 
affecting the whole or the idea was you know he couldn't own all the newspapers in one town and control how that town right. voted right that was the intention now there's so many other ways and and so many different channels like you might be able to control little bits of it here and there but i think that the audience is too diverse anymore like the cat's out of the bag what's interesting is that it seems to me that people who are who are very into the internet like you are have this sort of have a sort of similar cynical, slightly paranoid worldview. Oh, I totally do. What? But I wonder, because my friend who, my friend who um, is, is all about computers and like does IT on a big scale for a bunch of different people um, and like builds computers and just, you know, has been into it forever. He very much has that attitude and like everyone, like I, it seems like every like hackers that I've known. Well, you what, know, it's what inter- creates that? You know, it's interesting because the early days of the web, like back when it was this DARPA project, mm-hmm. um, you had you know I'm painting in very broad strokes here, but the two kinds of people you had was like military engineers and then like hippies, right? And a lot of I mean, you look at you know you look at pictures of you know young Bill Gates and young Steve Jobs, and they're kind of cleaned up, but like. Those guys aren't from far removed from those West Coast hippies that were out there, right? And a lot of those guys were like that. It was a lot of these counterculture people that were mm. were tweaking things and, and doing weird stuff and thought in weird ways. Um, you know, there's a lot of scientists like that. Now, yes, you also had like the military types and it's this weird, uneasy alliance between those. But I think that for a long time baked into the type of person that was on the web, you had this not you know, kind of this like a pirate radio, person. yeah, kind of this independent spirit, right? And I think that there's a generational shift away from that. I think that as the acceptance, you know, now you know everybody's grandparents are online, their kids are online. I mean, God, the 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 knowledge that my ten year old has about what's possible on the web is staggering to me. He he grew up in a world that didn't have that. He didn't grow up in a world that didn't have the net. Like he grew up with the web as part of the world, mm-hmm. right? That's a that's a mind shift different than it's somebody huge. at my age. You know, I'm I'm 43 years old, and I grew up in a world where you had phones, right? We you didn't even have cell to, phones. Went to the library like, to research things, right? In exactly. Like you went like and going to the library and researching like that was it. There were cl- you had to take a class mm-hmm. to learn how to. Navigate your way through the library, right? Um, and so, you know, there, I think that there is, I have this inherent, I don't say, I, part of it, yeah, you know what, it is distrust, but there's a skepticism. You know, for instance, I know a lot of people that do everything on the cloud, right? Everything mm-hmm. on remote servers. Fuck the cloud. I can't stand it. Like, I think it's, you You're know, nervous or you're afraid it'll crash or you just don't want it there's, all out there. There's, there's two things out there. A, Drives crash. Things get lost, right? I'm very much of mine. Like if I have this and it's mine mm-hmm. and it gets broken, it's my fault, right? If it gets broken, whatever. But if somebody else, you know, or for instance, music. You know, I'm a big music fan. Um, I have a couple of thousand albums uh, and they're all digitized and they're all on my hard drive. But a friend of mine, for instance, once he digitized everything, got rid of all his CDs. <laughs> I was like, dude, what are you doing? You got to back that up. He's like, oh, no, it's fine. His drive crashed and it's all gone, right? Here's the other thing because this is my friend who worked in music licensing. 
I may buy something through the iTunes cloud, but if something if somebody screwed up that licensing deal and Apple's like, oh, we don't have the rights to hold that anymore, it's gone, right? And you may have bought that with the expectation that you're going to be able to listen to that forever. Nonsense, right? I mean, just just because a company tells you you'll be able to listen to it forever doesn't mean you actually will, right? I mean, it's it's like with the ISPs that were like, oh, everybody's got unlimited data. Now they're like, oh, well, we're not doing that anymore. The thing that's really weird about the way we consume music now is I don't, e- I don't barely even think of music as a thing you own anymore. Like, because like in this scenario you created, it's just like, oh, you just. You'll just buy it again. You know what I yeah. mean? Like it's just something you it's it's so ephemeral. And I, I mean know. I'm a music person too. Like I used to al- having albums and becoming ca- cassettes before that and all right. that was like a big deal. And now it's like, you know, on my different devices I have cuz I just switch computers and so on. Some devices I have this and on some I don't. Oh, and if I don't have God. an album then <laughs> Oh no, are you free? Yeah, is that making no, you uncomfortable just, even no, hearing it? Just, it? <laughs> it's like, you know, I'm I'm actually going through and reorganizing all my music because it's gotten out of hand. But I I've DJed in my past and so it's very much like I like with having vinyl? It, with vinyl. Yeah, with vinyl, with digital, whatever. Mm. Um but I like having it all in one place. Uh Partly just because it feels fulfilling. Yeah. Um, I don't like having extraneous things out here. And so the idea that like, oh, some of it's here and some of it's there. You know, I, I recently upgraded – you know, I had an iPod that was – you know, one of the older iPods that was like eight or nine years old that was like 60 gigs. And I just got the iPod Classic that's like 270 gigs. Wow. And I actually deleted some music out of my collection that I had gotten digitally from some friends that I didn't have – that I didn't own on my own. I was like, you know what? I'm getting rid of this stuff because I didn't really buy it just so that I could have my entire collection on my iPod. <laughs> I was like, yeah, it's, I've got too much music. i got to get rid of some of this. And how so, do you feel about that now? I feel fine because it was a lot of crap. Yeah. Yeah. So you were, were you were working at Entertainment Asylum? Yes. Which got picked up by AOL. I was working for a. I have started with them right after they got picked up by AOL, uh, and worked there for about a, a little over a year, launching the site, and then a big group of us got laid off conveniently before anyone's stock options vested. Hmm. Uh, which convenient. always, yeah, convenient, right? Uh, and then I, where did I go from there? I was at uh, Warner Brothers for a while. Doing what? Um, on their online group. So I was. Working on, among other things, I started out doing some – I started out with uh, the online version of Extra um, and then took over the kids' WB properties. <laughs> uh, I was putting like – you know, doing promotion for the cartoon shows, which I've always been a fan of animation. This was a job that I probably would have done for free. I could call up the classic animation group and say, uh, I want to put some clips up. Can you send me these 10 or 12 cartoons that I haven't seen in 10 years? <laughs> and they would. And I'd just watch them. I'm like, all right, I'll pull a clip from that one and that one and this one. And it was awesome. Uh, and then I bounced around to a few different dot-coms for a couple of years. I worked at an ad agency and then got back into doing uh, entertainment journalism at Yahoo Movies for mm-hmm. a few years um, and then ended up at Rotten Tomatoes about six and a half years ago. How did you end up at Rotten Tomatoes? Uh, I had been working, you know, I had, I had gotten the job at Yahoo and was, you know, worked my way up to basically uh, functioning as kind of the managing editor of the movie site. And the the model at Yahoo, it's still kind of like this, but for Yahoo Movies, most of that traffic came from the front page. 
of Yahoo, which is this fire hose of traffic. You get on the Yahoo. I, I did some. I wrote some stuff for Yahoo. And you know what it's like. Yeah, right? I would get like. Is it possible that like one of my things had a million? Comments? Oh yeah, totally. Comments, comments? maybe. Maybe not comments. But million would I have seen views. the page views? Okay, yeah. then it was over. It was like two more than that page. Yeah. View. It was, in, but but the comments was like you know twelve pages of comments or yeah. something on just some entertainment story. Right, it's crazy the amount of traffic. Right, so we would get we would do a lot of like trailer premieres and stuff. So after being there for a few years, I got to know all of the uh, online publicists for all the different studios, and then I left there to uh, go into business with. My dad, actually, and this other partner, um, in some crazy hope that this was going to be a good idea, uh, and it turned out it wasn't. Uh, <laughs> and so I was like, "All right, you know what? I got to get back into doing um, stuff that doesn't involve your dad. Stuff that doesn't involve my dad." Also, I had left Yahoo also because I had a. Uh, this that's a whole other story. Um, it is no fun being in your late thirties and having a heart condition. You had a heart condition. Oh god, or have? Me, yeah, I had and had a miraculous recovery. What was it? Uh, was left ventricular hypertrophy, which, which is a what? which is a stiffening of the wall of the uh, left ventricle, which means that the ventricles pump the blood out, and I the typical the, they measure the efficiency of the pumping by what they call the ejection fraction, mm-hmm. and if your heart takes in say for instance a hundred cc's, if your ventricle takes in a hundred cc's of blood, in a well functioning heart, the ventricle should pump out between like around 50% of what it took in. So your ejection fraction should be between like 45, 55%. Mine was down to like 15%. So it was hardly pumping. Was your blood pressure low? My blood pressure was high. I had high blood pressure that I wasn't really aware of because, uh-huh. you know, I was still in my 30s and drinking and not going to the doctor and right. being a dope. Um, also, they think that it was it was maybe something viral that I caught because sometimes you can get something that'll aggravate an existing problem, uh, and it meant so I my heart was not pumping enough blood out, and I was getting uh, the only way I knew anything was wrong was that I was had, I had this persistent cough that wouldn't go away, and when I would lie down it would get really bad I couldn't sleep through the night because I was coughing all the time. Well, it turns out that was what they call congestive heart failure. Oh, wow. Yeah. Yeah. So I went to the doctor and I had been going to the doctor. You weren't like lightheaded or, or – Not really. Not really. Having trouble breathing or anything? No. No. Just, no. I mean just I just had this cough, right? I mean I would get wheezy but I just had this cough. Yeah. And so I go to the doctor and I, you know, I go to this – I go to my GP for a couple of weeks and he's like, I don't know what's going on. And you know, he put me on heart so – on, he put me on blood pressure medication but he's like, I don't know what's going on. And they go to this pulmonologist and they do an x-ray. He's like, your lungs are fine but your heart's awfully big. Or he says your heart's enlarged. Big heart, good. Enlarged heart, <laughs> right. not so much. Yeah. So um, I went on – I was on different medications uh, but had a miraculous recovery and now I'm back to full function. So – the very, recovery, do they think that had to do with the medicine or just they, like maybe the virus? Uh, like, it was a, the cardiologist that I saw said that he thought that I may have gotten a virus that would have done – he said, you know, it's unusual that someone would have the level of recovery that I had. Um, so how long was that whole – It was a few months. Were you it, scared? Uh, I was terrified. Because was terrifying. What, what could have happened? I mean like uh, what was – what could have happened, you know, one of the things they put me on was this medication called Coreg, which literally slows your heart down, right? It takes the adrenaline away from your heart. Mm-hmm. So 
and they have to ramp up your dosage. Like you start out on the low dose and then you're just like, <laughs> and then after two weeks, they're like, all right, you feeling all right? All right, let's ramp it up. And so after about about four weeks, you're up to full dosage. I just like sleepwalking through the day. I took like two months off from work that I had, you know, I took medical leave. And yeah, it makes you like really, I think, is that Coumadin? This was called Corac. I think they're maybe it might I, be similar. I've heard of things like I think it makes you like really foggy in the brain. Oh right? yeah, I mean I was just a mess, yeah. and you know they were talking about transplants. They were talking oh, about internal defibrillators, not a pacemaker, an internal defibrillator, and they you know which is like if your heart stops, it, yeah, you know, and you. and the scary thing about that is they say that it's not uncommon for those to give you a false. To falsely detect an arrhythmia. It's like you could be driving down the road and just like, boom! I have a friend who has one of those. Um, This guy who was in this band, The Giraffes, in New York. Like, young, healthy guy had a heart attack out of nowhere. Um, And so he has one of those. And I was just thinking, if I were him, given the way... Given the way I'm wired, I would be afraid probably – I don't know how I would ever relax. I'd be so afraid that the whole thing's just going to jolt me out of nowhere. Yeah. Exactly. I was yeah. terrified of that. I was terrified of that. I was terrified of having to go on the transplant list. Um, you know, Were you married at the time? I was not married at the time. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I basically went on this medication and within a couple of months, I was already back up to like 35 percent of the ejection fraction measurement. Um, you know, And since then, I'm back up to full function. I go and get an echocardiogram like once every six months. You know, I keep my blood pressure under control. I've got a little – electronic monitor that I check at home like every week and it's um, but it was terrifying it was terrifying and the worst part about it was when I had this having to you know not everyone was like this but a lot of people around me I felt like I had to manage their fear mm-hmm. and that sucked you Your know family? like my family you know after the third doctor that wasn't giving my dad the answer he wanted. I was like, you know what, dad, I'm done. Like, I've seen the doctors. I'm oh, going your to the dad doctor. kept wanting He's to like, go to oh, no, doctors. you need to go to this guy. You need to go to that guy. And after the third yeah. one, it's like, you know what? It's done. I'm done. I don't need to keep, like, I'm just dealing with this. But, you yeah. know, they were, you know, they were panicked. My siblings, my siblings handled it relatively well. Um, and I have some good friends out here that I really leaned on and were very helpful um, but there were some friends that were like really like you, you, you can see it. And people, people who listen and people who have, you know, like serious health problems that are kind of especially unusual for someone their age will know what I'm talking about. Like you get these weird reactions from people like they don't know how to act. And you mm-hmm. get like I felt very much like I had to main either both maintain a braver front than I really felt. And kind of manage them. Like, I'm yeah. the sick one. Right. Right? That's like, right. if you can't deal, then just fuck off. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You know. So you have some anger. Had? Had. Oh, I've got plenty of anger. <laughs> just in general. Um, People on the net, on the web do. Oh, God. <laughs> you know, that's the thing. I, I will tell you, like, I go back and forth on this. Like, you... You know, you and I were kind of talking about this a couple right. weeks ago about something coming up on that Twitter. That conversation actually really helped me. Thank you. You know, there. What I have learned, and this is the thing, and every, you know, once every, maybe once a year, I'll, I'll, I'll forget this. Um, but for the most part, 
you can't argue with someone in that environment. No matter, I mean, even like Online. Twitter aside, right? I mean, yeah, Twitter's a terrible place to have a discussion because 144 <laughs> characters, you can't say anything intelligent. Um, and there are people out there just trying to be mm-hmm. shitty and right, trying to, to be provocative. But you can't, you know, I got into this when the, um, what is it, the Sandy Hook shootings happened. Yeah, Atlanta. Um, yeah. When those, when those happen, you know, I had a bunch of friends. I've got friends on both sides of the aisle. And I've got friends that are like, you know, oh, yeah, we should get rid of all guns. And I have other friends that like – Double down. You double down, right? Um, you know, when when what's his name? Um, LaPierre came on. He's like, we're going to give every teacher a gun. I, I have a lot of friends that are like, yeah, give every teacher two guns, right? <laughs> and have another guy in there with another gun. Right. Um, I got into this huge argument with someone that ended up with him threatening me with libel over on Facebook, right? Wow. And it was like, you know what? I need to – you know, and I have a sticker above my computer at home and I have a sticker on my computer at work that says, do not get into arguments online <laughs> because you can't. There's – you just can't. So if I expected it to be like some kind of uh, – Whitman sampler pearl nope. of wisdom. No, it's just exactly exactly telling you. You know, what to do. it's it's, good. it's uh, to paraphrase uh, what I think was I think it was Mark Twain. Say, uh, you can't argue with someone online. Arguing online is like wrestling with a pig. <laughs> you both get filthy, and the pig likes it anyway. And that's yeah. the thing. Like there, there is no there's no upside. There's no upside. There isn't. There just isn't. Right. And and the only way, you know, it's like war games. The only way to win is not to play. Yeah. Right. I mean, that'll that'll date me definitely. <laughs> uh, but yeah, you just can't. I mean, you know, we I mean, you remember like two years ago or yeah, two and a half, three years ago when we had to shut down our comments uh, on Rotten Tomatoes because of the dark night, because of the dark night. Right. Knight, right? Uh, because people were doing death threats to critics. It was like, OK, you know what? Everybody out of the pool. Done. We're not doing this. Do you We're regret not, it ever? No. Turning them off? No. Yeah. Absolutely we did that on, on – I don't remember – I don't know the reasoning, but there used to be comments on Adam Carolla and there aren't anymore. Yeah. You just – I mean we – part of what we were doing wrong, I think, is that we had individual comment threads available for individual reviews and so it promoted the dog pile. Like, oh, here's an outlying review. Mm. Let's everybody pile up on that person. Now we don't do that at that level. So the little bit of management helps it. But, you know, I'm very much of the mind that, like, look, it's it became more work to police that right. than anything else. And it's just not worth it. I mean, you know, same thing with that, right? Like, Adam says stuff that's provocative. And, mm-hmm. and you know, the problem is, is that people rise to that and then they go bananas. And, you know, I used to think you – know, for a long time I used to think that if you got rid of the anonymity on the web, that would fix the problem. We talked about this. And it I was, doesn't. But it doesn't, right? Because people will say things, people will type things on a computer that never in a million years would 99% of them say to someone's face. And the ones that would say that are the type of ones that set off that warning bell and the rest of us like, oh, that guy, don't talk to him. Yeah. Right? I mean, we all know, we all have people in our lives and it's like, oh, yeah, there's that guy. You That's just him, yeah. right? Like. You know, you you see him like once a month or if that or it's like you have a group, you know, in your social circle, like there's always that one clown that's like, oh, yeah, you know, and it might be fun for a few months. And then after a while, you're like, oh, God, he's like that all the time. Uh, <laughs> right. But the problem with the Web is that people like that. 
that brings that out in people. And the other thing too is it it adds more weight and more permanence to the things that those people tend to say to get a reaction than you would get if it was a crazy it, person yelling it on the side of the street. Well, that's the thing, right? Like, you know, if some jackass at a party, you know, at some big party decides to start dropping n bombs, like there's a there's a there's a potential consequence of that, right? Like he might get his ass kicked. Um and you know, if it doesn't happen or if you make somebody cry or whatever, like that story will go around, but in 2 or 3 years at most like that's a story that people tell, right? Whereas you say something online to somebody and that's out there kind of forever, right? I mean, I have a rule like another one of my rules for living in for you know for dealing with an internet society it's no longer good enough to say you know there used to be a time that you could say you know if you're going to do something stupid make sure there's nobody with a camera around right or but you can't do that anymore cuz everybody's walking around with a camera on their phone and we live in an age where there's so many cameras out just doing whatever that like you know almost every store's got some security camera and i'm not trying to sound paranoid like you know, the way they talk about surveillance cameras in England. But there's a lot of cameras around. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of things recording what we do. So now it's like you don't want someone to see you doing something stupid. It's no longer good enough to, like, look around and make sure no one's watching. The only way to escape that is don't do it. Like, you can't do stupid stuff and get away with it. There was a point, you know, I grew up in the 70s and 80s, and my friends and I did all kinds of crazy stuff. Or if like not, well, if not all kinds, like, we would get up to the same ridiculous stuff that anyone else did as kids, right? But now, like you but do like something- drugs or shoplifting, beating people up, rape, what are we talking about? No, I mean like racing or, you know, not even like like driving too fast or, you know, just stupid. I mean, not even that, like nothing dangerous. Like, right. I was just, a pretty clean gotcha. cut kid. But, um, you know, I might, you know, mooning somebody, like, <laughs> right? I mean, mm-hmm. stuff that's all pretty tame. But, you know, I had- I had cousins who grew up in Louisiana, right? And those guys were some hellraisers. Um and nothing particularly terrible, but like you know, now like you say the wrong thing and it's on video, like you never live that down, right? It's you know, I was listening to something on the way over here that we're talking about that girl that at UCLA a couple of years ago had done that video that went viral about she was complaining about Asians in the library, uh-huh. right? Had that girl just said that to a few friends, She'd got the rep for like, oh, yeah, she's a bitch, right? <laughs> but she had to leave UCLA because she yeah. did something stupid. Now, posting something like that online is a particular level of stupid. Mm-hmm. But the stakes of stupidity are so much higher, I think, now than they ever were because, like, there's a record of everything. Yeah. Right? I mean, it's, it's you know, it's – yes, they're coming down, but, like, with guys – like, with those <laughs> – those scumbags with their revenge porn sites, right? What is – I feel like I just heard this and I made a note to myself to find out what it is. But but I okay. forgot. What is so, revenge porn? So revenge porn is – let's say <laughs> – Gary is smirking. How do you not know what this is? I don't know. All right. So here – so, and, and Chris is doing the smirk with his hand. Okay. The, the, so, what the fuck with his hand? Okay. So – I'm a lady. Have you ever been in a relationship where maybe you've taken some risque pictures? No, I have never done any of that. But have you had friends that have ever done I'm that? I'm sure I have, okay. yeah. 
I, for instance, had a friend where, you know, this was in college in the late 80s. Uh, he and his then-girlfriend made themselves a dirty movie. Mm. Okay, right? That wasn't unheard of, especially, like, as people had their own little video cameras. Uh, but this was kind of pre-internet and certainly before anyone could automatically – I mean, this was on something they shot on their VHS camera. I feel and, like I know where this is And going, so the yeah. joke was – like, oh, don't ever let anyone get a hold of that. So that's right. That's I mean, why like, you don't. I mean, that is why I I have never sent. I've never sent a photo. I've never taken a photo. Like, right. Occasionally, right. But, I'll be trying to take a photo of my makeup and I'll catch my boob or something and I'll delete it. Right. But see, there are there are people that you know you might be in your teens right now and think it's a good idea to yeah, send topless of pictures it, yeah. of your boyfriend, right? right? Well, let's say you have an acrimonious breakup. So then He's still got those pictures. He sends them to the site, which they not just post the pictures. Yeah, what do they do with them? Put your name and your contact info. And like it's, it's revenge porn. It's, oh, this girl left me. I'm going to ruin her life. So that then down the line, like 25 years old, I'm looking at somebody, you know, I'm trying to get a job. And my potential employer, because everybody does this, Google's your name, and if the search results come up like, oh, porn. you know, or not even like but porn, it makes but it's it like, look like it, is it not clear that this was revenge that this happened to you? Like, does it make it, it look like you did porn? It, no, it. I don't know that it looks like. I mean, not that I've seen any of these sites, but oh, my no, assumption is. Not. I mean, I now look. I do have a friend who. Uh, I had a couple of friends who had this very acrimonious breakup and she came to me because I worked at Yahoo at the time on how to get Yahoo to take down the search results because if you searched on her name, mm. you saw the naked pictures of her that he had put up on various websites. That's so awful. Right? Right? And it's like how – What is her body like? That's so awful. Yeah. I, it was uh, – it, it doesn't matter what her body was like, but it was good. Uh, <laughs> um <laughs> But it was, it was one of those things where it's like, yeah. I mean, you know, of course. Yeah, you can't. That's the thing. What did you say? I mean, you can't. Well, really I mean, when I told her, I was like, okay, yeah, you know what? That's not cool. I will, you know, I talked to her. She told me the story, um, and I tried to find people who dealt with that thing in the search department at Yahoo. It's like, can you help this person out? Because mm. um, that's you know, kind of without her consent, right? I mean, you know, depending on your definition of the word rape, like that may not actually be akin to physical rape, but that's kind of rapey. Well, it's a, certainly a violation. It's certainly a violation. It's certainly a violation. And so the problem, you know, it's it's one of those things. I mean, I feel, you know, I have a 10-year-old stepson and thank God he's a boy, right? And not that I have anything wrong with girls, but God, it, like – I'm already bad enough. Like he started playing some game that was what is it? Clash of Clans, some little game on his iPod Touch. And when I found out it was online, I'm like, you can't play that online unless I'm over your shoulder watching you. What happens on it? Uh, nothing. It's just that it's connected to the web. But I'm not going to let a ten year old use the web. I know too much oh. about the web to let a ten year old so use it unsupervised. You think he's using the web supervised only? Uh, I have turned off his wireless. On his, he can't use the wireless unless we turn it on. Uh, he's so you think. So I think I will tell you this: he, for the first time, I think for the first time, got caught using his 
Nintendo DS at night when he was supposed to be in bed. And he was devastated. Like, he felt so... Like, he came into our room crying because he was so guilty about it. Oh, well, then you sound like you don't have much to worry about. No, I don't think so. Now, as he gets older... Yeah, wait, I mean... Here's the thing. puberty. No, no, exactly. Look, like, as he gets older, I mean, on a certain level... Like, as someone who has worked on the web for 15 years, am I going to have, like, crazy levels of security and that I think he's not going to be able to get past? Probably. You know, it'll be, like, it'll be an arms race. Yeah, but it's like, like where Jurassic do his Park. Hacking, where do his hacking skills get past? But what? But what? it's like Jurassic Park. Life finds a way. Well, <laughs> and the other thing is, too, like, in the end, you know, I've – and this is something I think about with him a lot. You know, I know that puberty is coming and I know, you know, with the proliferation, you know, it's one. I mean, when I was a kid, like I was too afraid to go to the store and buy a Playboy. And my dad didn't have my if my dad had any of that stuff around, it was hidden better than I could find it. But I but my friends all knew where their dad's stash was. Um, I could only hope that, yes, I'm going to try and keep an eye on Gabe, but at a certain level. I have to trust that as parents, my wife and I have instilled a level of values in him that he's not ultimately going to do something that's irrevocably stupid. Like what kind of thing are you worried about him potentially doing or encountering? I mean, look, like, you know, if he hits puberty and he's looking at porn and jacking off, like, whatever. That's what kids do, right? Like kids jack off. That's that's what happens. I'm not going to tell him like (laughs) – I'm not going to tell That's him like never going preach, away. right. It's like, what am I going to do? Like, oh, don't do that. Like, it's like you know, it'd be more like, well, don't, you know, just do it somewhere where no one's going to catch you doing it because then you'll be embarrassed. Like, yeah, you know, keep it on, you know, like keep it to yourself. I'm not going to tell you not to do it, but and stay more middle of the road with your porn choices. You know, but 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 you know, do I want him watching like? What I would be concerned about is if he's watching like rape scenarios and yeah. jacking off to that. Like that's where I think – that's where I wouldn't – you know, I would want him to, you know, not to sound cliche, but, you know, to have a healthy idea of what sex is like, right? Because I think that if you are – especially at that age, if you are looking at the porn that's out there and thinking that's what sex is going to yeah. be like – that's going to suck. Well, that's that's so interesting because my first instinct when you said that was, but if if hypothetically, you know, if that's what he's into, then can you really keep him from that? But what you're suggesting is that the porn will shape what he's into. And you're, you're probably right. I mean, I, yes. I think on a, I, yeah. I think it can. I think it can. I think right? it does. I, th- I mean, I think even just not just for kids. I think for men in general, right? Well, Don't especially think? I think especially as a as a young man. You're so attracted to the naked body that if the first porn you stumble upon is rape scenario porn, you're not going to be like, well, that's not for me. I'll go find something else. You're just going to be like, look at that boobies. And then then it's then all of a sudden subconsciously you start to that starts to be your thing. Mm-hmm. Well, right. Or or something like, you know, or maybe not rape scenario, but, you know, there's a lot of porn out there's there. There's a lot of fucked up porn out well, there. Well, but not even that. It's, I feel I'm the majority actually, of porn is not super respectful well, to the lady. What I'm more concerned about, actually, the more subtle danger to me is the type of stuff where somebody is, you know, we've all seen that like, oh, give it to me, bitch. Like, and, and the ones where the guys are verbally abusive, right? I don't want Gabe to think that's okay. I don't want my kid to think that that's normal, right? That he will be 
you know, getting to a point where he's intimate and <laughs> unless somebody wants it, yeah. that he's being verbally abused. Now, look, like some right, people you don't dig come that. out swinging with that. Right. Don't come, right. Don't assume <laughs> that that's pocket. what everybody wants. Yeah. Right. Like I want him. My hope is that he, you know, my hope is that as with all things, he is respectful of other people. And I feel like there's a large section of porn that doesn't really instill that, right? Um, you know, yeah, I'm, uh, look, like people got their thing that they do, like everybody's got their thing and that's fine. And I'm not here to pass judgment, but I think that at the age that kids are at puberty and the access that they have, I'm not sure that they necessarily, you know, it's a weird thing because like, do you trust that they can figure it out? Because- you, I don't think you can like guide him through it mm-hmm. as an adult. Like you right. can't sit your kid down and be like, "All right, here's the porn to watch, and don't watch this stuff." Like, that's not okay. Especially not if you use that voice. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> all right. All right. Here's what we're gonna watch. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Right? I know. Hearing all this, it's like, God, I don't. That is a really uh, thorny thing yeah. to be navigating. I don't really. I mean, and yet I bet. Given that you're even concerned, I bet your kid's going to be fine. Uh, yeah. I mean, I just, you know, I just want him to, you know, I want him to be, resp- you know, but by the same token, like you don't want him to be afraid. Like you don't want him to be terrified. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's a weird, but it, you know, again, this is one of those things that like, I can't look to my parents and their peers because this isn't, I don't think this is something that they had to deal with. And it'll mm-hmm. be different for my kids' generation because they'll have grown up with a similar environment. But we're at this weird generational shift where there is an availability of questionable – you know, and I don't mean to – and again, I'm not trying to pass judgment on that. It's more like I think there are questions as to how that affects perceptions that it's hard enough to, for adults to navigate. But when you're in your formative years, how do you, how do you help a kid navigate through that? If at all, or do you just like let him say like, "Hey, you know, out of the nest, try mm. and fly, see what you do, like, give it a shot." So, yeah, it's a really good question. Yeah, it's a really good question because at the age you're so impressionable when you're when you're encountering all this. At the same time, I suspect that every generation does feel like, how can they help their kid navigate this crazy, these crazy, right. mo- this crazy modern world where sex is coming at them all over? The- you know. You know, I I will tell you that one of the things that comes up when I think about this with my kid is that we limit his video game time very severely because he's a little addict. Like he gets an hour on Saturday and an hour on Sunday and that's all he gets because he gets too crazy. Like and, and even then, like that Saturday and Sunday, he can't start playing games till afternoon because if he starts playing in the morning, that's the way – that's his headspace all day and it makes him shitty. He gets really moody and really crabby and he can't stop. He's he's getting better but he's – you know, like an old – you know, someone – once you hit like your teens, you know, you can rage quit a game. Like you can get so frustrated and so mad like, ah, I got to take a break. He doesn't do that. He like gets so worked up. He cries and he melts down. And what I'm concerned about him and his usage of the computer is is I'm worried that he's going to have trouble – stepping away from the computer and the internet, you know, and, and when you throw porn into play, (laughs) you know, I, I, you know, again, I, so we try and like have other activities that he does and, and, you know, I, 
again, only hope that we can instill in him a sensibility that all of that, like you can't just do one thing all the time. Yeah. How'd you meet your wife? Uh, she's actually my oldest friend here in Los Angeles. Oh. Yeah. We, uh, we knew – she lived three blocks away from where I moved – where my family moved to in Hancock Park. And we knew each other. We didn't go to high school together, but we knew each other off and on for years. And we would see each other. You know, She would be at college and I would be at college and we would hang out over the summers. Uh, and then we would not talk to each other for like nine or ten months. And then we'd hang out again and then not see each other. And that was kind of the paradigm for our relationship for a long time. And then – she got married to some guy that didn't like me uh, and then I didn't see her for a couple of years. And then she got divorced and we hung out again. And then because this was kind of our rhythm and I was dating somebody else at the time, um, after two or three months, we kind of like – you know, we went on with our lives in our different directions and I didn't see her again for a couple of years and she had gotten married again. Uh, and that relationship ended up with – Gabriel, our 10-year-old, um, that relationship ended and a few months after that, she found me on Facebook uh, with a different last name and some terrible little picture that was like – I couldn't tell who it was. And I was like, I don't know someone with this last name. I know you know a bunch of Jennifers, but I don't know <laughs> anyone with this last – it's like, well, they must know me. You know, so what the hell? Uh-huh. And so I was like, yeah, sure, I accept this friend. And then looked, I was like, oh, that's who that is. And we started hanging out and we ended up dating. Yeah. Had you ever had feelings for her before? Uh, Yeah, kind of. Like we looked back and we had all these like summers that we were, you know, we had one summer where we were trying to find like the scariest movie possible to watch together. And, um, but, you know, it's like we hadn't made out or anything. Like I was, I was a timid, I was timid in my 20s. Mm-hmm. Um. Especially, yeah, I, when it came to women, I was very like, um, yeah, very nervous. Uh, you know, the one who's like, oh, she wouldn't want to date me. Like, that was, <laughs> I was one of those guys. When she found you on Facebook, now couple relationships behind her, was she like, I, he's the one I want to be with? No. Oh, no, so we were just, just hanging friend. out. Oh, we really? were just friend- I'll tell you what happened is that she, she had been – she had just finalized her divorce and at that point, this was six years ago, and Gabriel was I guess four at the time um, and a very, very shy kid. Uh, didn't like to talk to anyone. He's he's much better now but he was a very, very shy. Um, but I grew up in a house full of kids and you know, Catholic family, there are kids around all the time. So – uh, I was like, oh, that kid's shy. I can get past that. And so, you know, spent a few weeks of hanging out with Jen and like, you know, because I would go over there and he would hide. Like I don't mean just like not talk to anyone, like hide, like hide behind his mom, mm-hmm. hide behind a chair. He didn't want to talk to anyone. And I would sit there and be like, hey, look, Hot Wheels. Just start kind of playing with the Hot Wheels as we're watching TV. Hey, look, TV. here's the internet. You'll never get to play yeah, with it. Exactly. No, but, you know, just start messing around with like, oh, there's a bunch of Legos. Ooh, let's build something. And you know, he'd kind of just see me doing my thing and it wasn't, you know, like, oh, all up in his face. Right. It was like kind no of pressure. just let him – yeah, no pressure, right? And so he came and we'd hang out and he and I kind of got to be friends of a sort. And after about three months, as was the normal rhythm for Jennifer and I, we started she to – She got like, married? No, not married. But she was doing something and I started to get really busy at work because it was, was like – unfair. 
was summer movie season. So that's when it typically gets really busy. And so about two and a half weeks go by and she's like, uh, you know, I'd love to see you again, but I don't know what, you know, and I had this thought of like, I just spent four months getting this kid used to me and I don't want to be somebody else that I don't want to be another dude that just runs out on this kid. So I made a point to get past that rhythm where Jen and I would like fall out of touch and then pick back up later. I was like, you know what? I'm going to make time to see you guys again. And lo and behold, like turns out once we're together more than three months, we end up together together. So yeah. <laughs> Who knows what could happen? Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> oh, that's really sweet. Uh, that's yeah. very sweet. Let's do a quick, just mirror everyone. Sometimes I ponder on something. Kathy, Kathy Franowski says, I hate when people say all of the sudden. I would hate that too. I'm trying to think if my life is peopled by people who say that. All of the sudden. Do you hear that often? I tend, I will use that from time to time, but only if I'm telling a good story. Well, no, as opposed to all of a sudden. Oh, 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 that's I see. That's what she's saying, yeah. I think that's what she means, right? Is that yeah, how, that's, that's how I took means. it, yeah. Like all of the sudden as opposed to all of a sudden. I've never noticed someone do that. Yeah, me neither. Yeah, I don't know. I haven't really noticed. We think it might just be you, Kathy. Joshua Perry says, while showering, I'll occasionally find one of my wife's long hairs in my butt crack. Tickles when I pull it out. Well, I find my own. <laughs> when, you, when you have long, Here's the thing. When you have long hair and you're in the shower, you know, hairs come loose. You shed. And just the, the way it goes, gravity, water, just pulls it right straight into your butt. <laughs> <laughs> and then it does feel weird when you pull it out. But the fear when pulling a long hair out of your butt, I must say, is that it will snap before you pull it all the way out. Like pulling pulling a whole de- – de-hairing your butt is such a good relief. It's feeling of relief. But when it snaps, you're like, great, now i got to go in for a tiny hair. That's when you need the no-no. <laughs> That's right. right. That's right. I should say, I'm not. we're not talking about a hair in your butt. We're talking about just – Lodged in the crack. B. Slammon <laughs> says, I feel like fast food places that have two windows, the payment one and the food giving one, the first is always closed. Trying to think. Not true. At least at in and outs It's just you, B. Slammon. <laughs> All right. Now here's – Yeah, in and outs got that dialed in. Yeah. But I, but I, but but that's because they always have a large customer base. Yeah. I think it probably depends on how fast they're trying to cycle people through. Maybe, yeah. maybe it has to do with what time of day. B. Excuse me. <sighs> Be a little less slamming. Okay, I think this is another account that is cropped up. To it's a parody account. Of be slamming? Yeah. Because I saw some back and forth. I don't think but... it's a parody of her. I think it's somebody who's tired of her JMOs getting read every week. Oh, I like be slamming. What about be more slamming? That's possible too. Be a little less slamming says, just me or everyone. I love fajitas, but I don't order them because they take up too much real estate. Makes me feel like a table imperialist. Now, is this a parody of her JMOs, though? Because that feels like a legitimate JMO. Fajitas involve a lot of plates. I don't think it's a parody account. Yeah. That's what I just said. Okay. All right. Yep. I mean, I no. don't. It's been a long time since I've ordered a fajita, but I know what you mean. They take up a lot of space. It's, they it's do, a real, same with lettuce that is wraps. The least, commitment. I, I, I no. for one, the size of the plate compared to everyone else at the table, I could care less. Same, right? The lettuce wraps, fajitas are more encumbering than 
than lettuce wraps because usually there's three plates involved. There's yeah. the skillet, the plate with all the other bullshit on it, and then the third plate that you use to eat. <laughs> the tortilla thing. Right, and the tortilla, like, koozie as well. <laughs> but uh, don't care. If fajitas are delicious, have them on Tuesday. I, and everybody know, wins because it smells good. Order yeah. a 16-inch pizza of your own. Yeah. Right? Like, that's <laughs> – it's, it's, you know what? If – there's not enough space at the table. That's the restaurant's problem. Exactly. Right. You know where I haven't been? Or somebody else should order something big too. Yeah. That's right. right. I have not been to El Torito Grill in a really long time. They have that down where Gary and I grew up. Or do they have that everywhere? They have, yeah, they have one here. There's one over at there's the uh, on, Sherman Oaks Galleria. In El Torito Grill as opposed from... to El Torito? Yeah. yeah. I think Matt Fondelier used to work in El Torito. Well, that's different. Oh, Somehow, different. no. The El Torito Grill is the fancy version, but there's oh, one oh, over really? at the there's one over by the ArcLight in Sherman Oaks. There's another one over by Leno's Old Studios. They they my I haven't been there since forever, but I remember the tortillas with like orange butter or something. Some kind of special butter. Yeah, you know, like special honey butter. butter or something? Yeah, I don't think that's, yeah. that El Torito Grill is not there anymore. Yeah, oh, really? Yeah. In Fashion Island? Yeah. Per, yeah, perhaps it's not. I wonder what's there now. I don't know, but they built a few new restaurants in that parking lot, and they just opened one of them called Red O, and my mom called for a reservation, and they were like, sure, June. Yes, my mom has been mentioning Red O as well, and I, I know that my friend- Beverly Hills and some other places. It's, um, it's some famous chef, like maybe yeah. Rick Bayless or something. Four months, though? I don't care how famous you are. Fuck off. Rick yeah. Bayless is a good Mexican chef. Well, I don't know if Mexican it's him, food. though. Oh. So inter- well, that's interesting. My friend just went there. Her boss took her there for her birthday. I wonder how he got reservations. Four months ago, maybe. Snazzy. Scott Hatherley says, I get bummed out when I think a woman looks much older than me, and then I find out we're actually the same age. Yes, I have that. I wonder why it's a woman, yeah, just a woman as opposed to a man, though. Man just in there. general, when a human being looks old, and I find out they're the same age as I am. Probably because maybe it's like a girl that he like hooked Wait, up with. Wait, that doesn't bum me out, though. No, I get the opposite reaction because if I think someone looks really old and find out that they are really the same age as me, then I think that I look great for my age. Yeah, you could take it that way or you could be like, wow, this age is old. Wait, yeah. wait till you're a little more on the line where you don't know if you're old or not yet. I'm turning 30 this year. Right. That's not old. Wait when you're <laughs> wait till you're like whatever you say, Gramps. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> wait till I'll tell Older. you, there's nothing like having a 10-year-old in the house that makes you feel old because he'll oh, tell yeah. you. Oh, my nephew's like, – You're so old. My nephew's eight and he loves to drop shit like that on Yeah. Me. Kenneth Bohm says, iPhone seems to only accept my scrolling with the right thumb, not an ambi scroller. Uh, mm, nope. No, I don't have that. But I do have issues with touchscreens not recognizing my existence. Not on the iPhone so much, but like other touchscreens. Um in fact, when I was flying back from Chicago, no, from Buffalo recently, I was I had the plane that had the little screen with the touch screen and Mike August was sitting in front of me and I felt bad because I wanted to scroll through and I felt like I was just like jamming my finger into his back. Oh well. Abe Lopez says, though I pronounce them correctly now, I still think of some words how I said them as a kid. Psst. Now this is I think really he means Paschetti. But it says spaghetti. Maybe he said spaghetti as a kid. Maybe it's spaghetti. Maybe he pronounced spaghetti some wrong way. Spaghetti, mashed potatoes. That's cute. Um, I have stuff like that. I have, but, but specifically, my friend told me that uh, she knew that she didn't want a certain editor to be her book editor because he wrote back and asked for a writing smapple. <laughs> so whenever I see the word sample, 
I always think Snapple. Yeah. (laughs) Um, Cameron Harston says, just me or everyone secretly feel omnipotent when my physical presence causes crickets to stop chirping. Just me. When, I haven't ever noticed that really. That's a low level of omnipotence. I know. <laughs> yeah, Use your powers for like, something better. Um, Bonzer says, after a decade, I hear old songs on my iPod and then will expect the next song from an old mix CD they were on to play next. Yes, absolutely. Thousand percent. Uh I'm a big fan of the Shuffle by Album on the iPod, mm-hmm. um, but it's not on the iPhone, and it makes me crazy. And my wife will – I'll give my wife an album that she puts on her iTunes, and she listens to it random, and I can't handle it. <laughs> like it can be an album that for the first time she's playing, and I can tell it's not in order. Like wh- why are you shuffling that? It makes <laughs> me really anxious. It's like you have to listen to that in order. She's like, Why? Yeah. Like, because somebody A and R'd that. Somebody put that somebody meant for those songs to go in that order. <laughs> like it it just I yeah, I can't handle it. So I'll give her a bunch you know, I'll put something on. And she's just shuffling and it's all over there. I'm like, Oh God, what are you doing? Mm. Yeah. I know. Album order. A yeah. lost art. Exactly. Exactly. Well Matt Atchity, thank you so much for doing my oh, show. Thanks for having me. I feel like I know you so much better now. I appreciate it. Thanks. Um so People can find you at Matchity, M Matchity, on Twitter, RottenTomatoes.com. Anything yep. else you want to plug? Uh, we have our radio show on Sirius. Uh, check us. Check out the Rotten Tomatoes YouTube channel uh, because we're starting to put more videos up there, uh, including the video version of the weekly movie reviews. So don't have time to look at the site? Get them on video. And every Thursday, more or less, on the Adam Carolla Show. Uh, yes, that's the most important yes. thing, of course. Tune in to hear me come in second place. I, I will tell Some you, I first. Some did you I come in first? Won once I did. Yeah. Did she? <laughs> I don't know. You know, we sit like at this side of the show. table, and I keep wanting to tell you, like, like, like why like, don't you? <laughs> I don't want to get caught because all disqualify you. <laughs> God damn! No, <laughs> we, you know, I know. We need integrity in the Rotten Tomatoes game. Yeah, no, we exactly. don't. Yes, we do. Fine. Or else, then, what do your second place come-ins mean at that point? They mean I come in first. <laughs> you know, there's an old saying. I'm at a disadvantage because you know those guys cruise Rotten Tomatoes. Uh, you know, like my motto, win if you can, lose if you must, but always, always cheat. Yeah, I've been doing it totally <laughs> honestly. What a bunch of bullshit. What do you think is dishonest about cruising Rotten Tomatoes? There's no such rule. You can cruise Rotten Tomatoes on your iPad on Wednesday morning or Wednesday I just haven't All figured right. out what movies. You need. You know what? You need to go with your gut more. I need more. to give you the list of five movies I've seen. <laughs> but I need to also, like, I've, I've gotten a good, you know, Brian sees everything. It's, and I've gotten pretty good at figuring out what Adam's seen. But part of it is, like, what has Adam seen that you have also seen? Right. But I think, well, how much, I, I guess seeing is a good way to know what the, score is going to be yeah because you also have to think about how people react to it right yeah I but think it's that's... all over the place i think right. yeah okay um all right we'll and <laughs> this please we've got to work out a system don't listen gary um <laughs> we have a ringtone available this hey. is you needed this ringtone back when you had to manage your friend's emotions hey 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 go fuck yourself you need this. Uh, I do. You can get it by searching Hey, Go Fuck Yourself on your iPhone in the iTunes store. Also, we have a special bonus episode available that we recorded live at the LA Podcast Festival with Doug Benson and Matt Costa and Gary and uh, Chris and Matt. And you can hear the genesis of the butter sandwich debate. And you can get that by by searching um, 
in the comedy album section of the iTunes store. It's $1.99. If you're going to buy something on Amazon, click through the banner on my website. It doesn't cost you anything extra, and it does help out the show. You can follow me on Twitter at Allison Rosen. You can follow the show's Twitter feed at A-R-I-Y-M-B-F. You can follow Chris. Or what do you want to plug, Chris? Um, Well, one of my favorite things about having Matt on Adam's show is this song that Rich Banks made. So you should all thank Rich for uh, making a song. Follow him on Twitter at Rich Banks Music. I I will tell you, I got a little choked up at at how how good that song is. Like it it makes me. I love the song. I feel so humbled and so honored that that song is so awesome, and I get all kinds of feedback on it, and it's just it's amazing. So thank you, Rich Banks. Yes, I was going to say, can we? Can we play it or no? Just go to the other show to listen to it. But yeah, um, yeah, you lucked out because certain people's theme songs, I mean, I, I have good theme songs, but there are certain guests who come in who do not enjoy their theme songs. Yeah, I, I love my theme song. Yeah. And Gary? What up? You can follow Gary on Twitter at G. Patrick Smith. <laughs> no, listen to the, listen to the uh, Pat O'Brien show. That's my plug. Are you newly working on this show? No, I don't you... work on that show. Oh. That's so. Oh, you're just you're just giving Matt Fondelier a plug. Well, he's got his podcast to plug. So. <laughs> All right. Thank you again, Matt, so oh, much, and thank you for lot. listening, you guys. I love you. Goodbye. Hey, do you know about the Allison Rosen show? Digital. 
Thanks for listening to the show, everyone. Just as a reminder, this episode is brought to you by NoNo. To get your NoNo and take advantage of the exclusive offer for my listeners, go to nonobestfriend.com or call 800-508-4815. That's nonobestfriend.com or call 800-508-4815. Now that the show's over, remember to go to naturebox.com and order great-tasting, healthy snacks at 50% off. Forget the vending machine and get in shape for summer with healthy, delicious treats like barbecue kettle kernels. Support this podcast and get 50% off your first order. Go to naturebox.com slash allison. That's naturebox.com slash allison.